All right, here we are tonight. I'm going to be speaking on dairy products and why we get so addicted to them. I mean, all of us at some stage had had a time where we just couldn't get enough cheese. How many of you had a cheese issue and just wanted more cheese? Hey, Brandon? You never had a thing with cheese, okay? But the rest of us have all had a cheese thing. I could eat a pizza with five cheeses on it. I could make a salad with five cheeses. And I was a sugar addict and a cheese addict. Sugar is something we've dealt with or will deal with again sometime in the future. But for now, we're dealing with the cheese issue. And I've written about this extensively over the years. But I recently got this magazine. I am the only Education Alliance partner for the um, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Africa. The, and nobody else has done the course and qualified with it, and that's with the Physicians Committee. They are based in Washington, D.C., and headed by Dr. Neil Barnard. And um, they send me this magazine called Good Medicine, and on the cover is Cheese Addiction, and it's referring specifically to the book that Dr. Neil Barnard's written called The Cheese Trap. It's very medically based, but it's very user-friendly information. And we have some of Dr. Neil Barnard's books available in our store and on the website and we've got some of his videos these dvds and cds as well available there so any of his stuff is really good it's well researched but it's written in layman's terms very very easy to read so just to give you some of the information and, and go over it and then i'll share my notes with you as well um he says what makes cheese so addicting it turns out that cheese has several components that work together to make it a recipe for a diet disaster Look at it this way. Have you ever tried to eat just one potato chip? Not so easy. A human brain is wired to seek out foods that contain salt, a necessary nutrient that was once difficult for our ancestors to find. Humans also seek out foods that contain fat. We look at the fat and salt together, a trait that once protected us from famine or starvation. The brain especially craves foods like chips and cheese because they contain mega doses of both salt and fat. But cheese also contains other compounds that keep people coming back for more called casomorphines, which is, you'll see from the name morphine, it's morphine, morphia, more, you know, it's a drug, it's a painkiller, it makes you euphoric. And caso, it comes from casein, and all cow's milk, yogurt, and milk contains this. So it's not just cheese, but cheese is the one dairy product that's high in salt and highest in fat, because it's concentrated. The watery part's been taken out. So it's not that you must now go drink liters of milk, because you some of these Factors are also in this casein in milk, there's casein in yogurt. It's just more concentrated in cheese. So it's presumably casomorphines trigger the brain to release dopamine, which floods the body with feelings of reward and pleasure. When you eat the cheese, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> bread tends to do the same thing. So you have bread and cheese together, and sometimes you have bread and cheese and chocolate afterwards. You're really on a high. Um it's this dopamine release and the warm, fuzzy feeling that people get afterwards that keep them hooked on cheese. So why does milk and cheese contain addictive opiate-like compounds in the first place? It all comes down to biology. Imagine if a human baby or calf didn't want to nurse from the mother. It's in there so the baby can feed and the baby feels warm and fuzzy and, oh, this is so nice and I want to be with my mommy, which is what's making that child grow, except that we are not baby cows. So their survival would be in question. Casomorphines allow the baby's brain to associate milk with pleasure, rewarding for them, rewarding them for nursing. So when they drink, they get rewarded. They get this feeling that they've been rewarded. And it's in natural mother's milk, but in a different form for human beings. 
The problem is there's not only casomorphines, there's other things in there as well. So we're going to take a look at some of those. In 1909, the average American ate less than four pounds, which is about two kilograms of cheese a year. A year. The massive rise in cheese consumption up to 33 pounds every year per person in America. Now, the average person may not eat cheese, but many people may not eat cheese. It's interesting because I'm reading Dr. Alan Goldhammer's thing on cheese here, and he says 584 pounds of cheese per person is eaten, which if I think of the amount of cheese I used to eat, it was closer to 584 pounds, which would be about 250 or 260-odd kilograms. That's kind of a lot of this 365 days, but if you think of it, I mean, some people can eat half a kilogram of cheese in a day. They can do it. You know, some people can do that. So maybe it's more than 33 pounds. I think, you know, if you take the cheese addicts like myself, it was way more than 33 pounds. But, I, you know, 584 pounds does sound like a lot. So, you know, if we look at stuff like that, and that you, most of the fat comes in, in cheese in the form of saturated fat, which can lead to insulin resistance and raise blood cholesterol. Dairy products are actually the top source of saturated fat in the American diet. To put this in perspective, a serving of cheddar, a serving's like 30 grams, it's a little bit contains as much saturated fat as eight slices of bacon. That's in perspective, okay? One Australian study found that women who consume the most dairy products have a higher concentration of sex hormones circulating in their bloodstreams compared with women who consume the least. Additionally, dairy consumption has been linked to a variety of hormone-related cancers, including breast cancer in women and prostate cancer in men. There are a lot of studies now that prove breast cancer and prostate cancer. Studies have also shown that dairy consumption may even play a role in infertility. And here's a story of Catherine, an Air Force aerospace engineer, loved cheese, macaroni and cheese, cheese pizza, double cheeseburgers, which she ate for breakfast. For years, Catherine suffered from a condition called endometriosis, which causes excruciating pain during menstrual cycles. Not only excruciating pain, very menstrual, heavy, ble- heavy menstrual bleeding, to the point that some women can bleed for three weeks at a time. Some women feel like they're actually miscarrying because it's almost like chunks of their body passing out because it's it's such a heavy, you've got these huge blood clots that are flowing out and the, the blood is usually very dark. A healthy menstruation, the blood is a fresh red color and it's short. It's not this heavy, dark color, okay? And you get this intense pain. Um, anyway, even though she wanted to have children, her doctor recommended a hysterectomy as the only solution. Before agreeing to the procedure, Catherine half-heartedly decided to seek the advice of a nutrition counselor who recommended she try a plant-based diet and set aside the cheese, meat, and the eggs. Although Catherine missed the cheese at first, she stuck with it. She quickly felt remarkably better. She lost weight, and her severe pain soon became manageable. After six weeks, she went back to her doctor, was shocked to find her endometriosis had almost completely regressed. She no longer needed the hysterectomy, and today Catherine has two children. So it's a great book, The Cheese Trap. I'm going to be trying to get them in stock. It is available on Amazon if you want to order it like that. Um, Dr. Alan Goldham has been around for many, many years, and he has also got some interesting things to say on it. I won't quote his amount of cheese in a year, although I have already. Um, He's a chiropractic doctor who actually is involved in a fasting if I'm not mistaken, he's involved in the True North Fasting Clinic Hospital in Southern California. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of people go there to fast and get well and do juicing and stuff like that. 
he's been involved in it for a long time. I've known about him for over 30 years. Wow. So, um, <clears throat> you know, he talks about it, that it's big business. Dr. Neil Barnard also talks about it. It's big business. There's a lot of money involved in this. But what he basically says, of all the animals on the planet, people are the only creatures who routinely consume milk products of other species. Could you imagine if a dog came and suckled from a human or from a cat or a cat went and suckled from a cow or a horse went and suckled from a cow? At least they're sort of closer together and they could be on the same farm. Right. He says there's compelling scientific evidence that our consumption of dairy products is strongly associated with the following conditions. Childhood onset, diabetes, constipation, type 1 diabetes, by the way, constipation, otitis media, ear infections, sinus congestion and rhinitis. Rhinitis is a runny nose. Um, and we have research done right here in South Africa by Dr. Mutala at the Red Cross Children's Hospital who published in a pediatric journal about a decade or so ago, quite some time back. So it's not new stuff, this. It's been around for a long time um, where he said that the side effects of consuming people that are children that are intolerant or allergic to cow's milk are, are, can have the following things. Otitis media, ear infections, tonsillitis, runny noses, the rhinitis, um, tonsillitis, bronchitis, any upper respiratory tract problems, breathing problems, and even um, gastrointestinal bleeding resulting in anemia, which may would make a child very, very tired. Okay, skin problems including rashes, dermatitis, eczema, hives, and acne, asthma, digestive disturbances including irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease, arthritis and joint pain, cancer, lymphoma and leukemia, and obesity. He says the problems with milk are numerous. Milk proteins, all dairy products, especially low or non-fat products, contain abundant quantities of milk proteins. Milk proteins are the most commonly implicated causal factor in promoting the diseases listed above. The protein in cow's milk, I think it's called P63, it's known to damage the pancreas, and that's what causes type 1 diabetes, which is the worst type of diabetes you can get. Bacterial contamination, dairy products are among the most common foods recalled by the FDA for contamination with bacteria such as Salmonella, Staphylococci, Listeria, E. coli, e. coli 01573, Mycobacterium and Paratuberculosis. And pasteurization kills most of the bacteria in milk. However, in doing so, it creates viral fragments that may also be health compromising. Three, biological concentration of, of toxins. All animal products, including dairy products, biologically concentrate the various poisons, including pesticides and other environmental contaminants. The resulting meat or milk products have highly concentrated levels of these toxins. Four, hormones. In order to maximize milk production, dairy cows are routinely injected with recombinant bovine growth hormone. You may have heard of RBGH. That's what it stands for. Recombinant bovinous cow growth hormone. This hormone dramatically increases milk production, but also increases insulin-like growth factor 1, which has been shown to promote the growth of cancer cells. 5. Antibiotics. Large quantities of antibiotics are given to dairy cattle, and may be contributing to the increasing problems of antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria. Six, gut leakage. Dairy proteins appear to be particularly well-suited to stimulating inappropriate immunological reactions when they are observed through an inflamed intestinal mucosa, a process commonly called gut leakage. 
In vulnerable patients, a variety of inflammatory processes are aggravated and may be associated with many of the disease processes listed above. 7. Environmental. The process of raising dairy cattle for milk and meat is a major user of fresh water and a leading contributor to both water and air pollution. Meat and dairy-based diets are very hard on the environment. 8. Moral and ethical. Some people believe that the involuntary incarceration of sentient beings is morally morally repugnant and refuse to participate in a practice they consider immoral and unethical. So that's Dr. Alan Goldhammer. These are my notes that I wrote about some years back and I update this periodically when new research comes in. So really, I mean, if we had to kind of summarize this all up about dairy products, Dairy products have for decades been promoted as a whole or a complete food. We were all told that if, you know, children are starving, give them a glass of milk, a slice of bread and peanut butter, and they'll get everything they need in it. And it's not true. Milk is not a whole food, certainly not for human beings, and certainly not after it's been pasteurized and homogenized. It's not even fit for a baby cow. Calves that have been fed pasteurized homogenized milk die usually within the first three months. They cannot survive on cow's milk that's been taken from the mother and then processed like that. So if the baby cow dies, why would it be good for us? You know, we've got to sterilize it to get rid of all these bacteria. Why are we drinking it? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't somebody stop for a second and say, why are we putting this into our bodies? It causes all these problems. We've been encouraged to drink almost at every meal. We're often told it's got to be two glasses of milk. There's still people out there, doctors, dietitians, magazines, saying that you need two glasses of milk a day. And, of course, the dairy industry would like us to drink six glasses a day. Research has been filtering through in the last two decades and is now beginning to reach a peak. The food once thought of as an essential is now being found to be the main cause of type 1 diabetes, breast and prostate cancer, autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis, heart disease, and a host of other ailments. I'm listing the research from a selection of highly qualified, recognized researchers and doctors to see that there's no longer any real debate. It's not a debate anymore. Dairy products are harmful to humans. There is no question about it. Anybody who argues is either completely ignorant, protecting an industry because there's usually they've got some kind of financial interest in it. They may work for the industry. They may have been trained by the industry. It'll take dietetics in a country like South Africa. The dairy industries gives the universities that teach dietetics large sums of money to reduce the cost of studying to be a dietitian. And then a dietitian will leave and tell you that you've got to drink two to four glasses of milk a day because she's been, been drummed into her. They lecture. They send their representatives into lecture. The textbooks have the information in there. And yet those very same people have not read the most up-to-date research. It's still the same old stuff that's going out there. It's like they're a marketing department of the dairy industry. Now you can check with Claudia Bowers. She's a qualified dietitian. She sits in our office and does our, office and does our admin for our business and for the school. She's our school administrator. She's a qualified dietitian. She says she can't practice any of that stuff. It's all commercially based. Everything she learned about cow's milk, and she's had cancer. So she knows. Right. I'm unaware of any independent research. There is no independent research that I've ever come across, and I've looked really hard, which concludes that cow's milk and cow's milk products are necessary or essential for health. 
In fact, it's completely the opposite. Independent research is showing that the dairy industry has actually chosen to ignore the warnings from independent research saying that it causes these diseases. And it continues to promote a clearly harmful substance that is not only, that is, they're promoting it as if it's safe. But they're not only saying it's safe, they're saying it's essential. And it's completely not. Because if that was the case, mothers would have cow's milk coming out of their breasts, not mother's milk. We're designed to be fed by our mothers until we're two to three years old, and that's it. We're not supposed to be drinking milk after that age. The one or one question I get from people when I say take the dairy out there, where am I going to get my calcium from? All the evidence shows that the cow's milk is higher in phosphorus than calcium, which binds the calcium, so you can't use it anyway. And in the process of being the body trying to balance that situation, your body will actually take calcium out of your bones and teeth. So in the countries where you consume the most dairy products, we've got the most dental decay and the most brittle bone disease. But that's enough evidence. We don't need anything else. If we just look where we consume the most cow's milk and drink the most, uh, drink the most milk, eat the most cheese and yogurt, we've got the most osteoporosis, brittle bone disease, and the most dental decay. Anybody consuming it or thinking they need to consume it as I said, is either completely ignorant or has some vested interest in it. They're either protecting the industry or they're protecting their degree. But I, they couldn't have taught me wrong at university. And believe me, people have been taught wrong at university. At one stage we were being taught the world was flat. We know it isn't. Unless you still belong to the Flat Earth Society. Dr. T. Colin Campbell, he's got the Jacob, Jacob Gould, Sherman Professor Emeritus of Nutritional Biochemistry, at Cornell University. He's a highly qualified, he's considered the most qualified nutritional biochemist in the world. He's in his 80s now. And based on the most comprehensive studies of nutrition ever conducted in the world today, over a 30-year period, over 400 studies, he's published over 400 papers in recognized medical journals. By now, it's probably even more than that. So I don't know anybody else who's, who's published that much. He says, it seems that besides contributing to heart disease, cancer, and almost all type, of almost all types, dairy products are a major factor in autoimmune diseases. Cow's milk protein supplies many foreign proteins that mimic our own, setting us up for one of many autoimmune diseases ranging from type 1 diabetes, also known as juvenile diabetes. It's the type of diabetes where people have to inject themselves with insulin. They're not taking a tablet. And they're usually underweight, whereas type 2 um, diabetes, most people are, tend to be overweight and they'll take a tablet. And with type 2 diabetes, you can just start exercising and eating properly and it goes away, literally, within days, weeks, or months. Whereas type 1 diabetes, you've damaged the pancreas. The good news is I have seen people take dairy products out of their diet and gluten, which is the other one, but dairy products mainly. And I've seen that their blood sugar stabilizes even in type 1 diabetics, which is considered incurable. I've seen it myself. People like Dr. Andre Kruger at Hochland Hydro work with diabetics, getting them off their medication by putting them on a plant-based diet and removing all those products. Okay, so other ones are Graves' disease, rheumatoid arthritis, thyroiditis, how many people do you know have had their thyroid removed, parts of it removed, on thyroid medication, take out the gluten and the dairy, and you don't have a thyroid problem anymore? Vitiligo, you know when you get those white patches on your skin, and your skin goes whiter and whiter, it's actually very ugly. 
Um, some people just have one or two patches. I know my daughter Marie Claire drank a lot of cow's milk when she was little. We were living in the country and we were getting unpasteurized cow's milk straight from the cow off the milking machines and it was cooled. And of course, I believed I had to give my children lots of milk. So I was drinking a lot while I was feeding her. And then when she was weaned, she went on to cow's milk. And she's got a patch of vitiligo on the back of her back, this patch that's actually got slightly smaller as the years have gone by. She's only now, and she's 35, starting to completely cut dairy out of her diet. But, I mean, it could have been really bad. And it's it's a very unattractive condition to have where you've got these white patches all over you. It doesn't matter if your skin's dark or light. It looks, it looks it's, it's a very uncomfortable condition, you know, from a visual point of view. Pernicious anemia. Um, glomer I've got to say this right. Glomer Ephritis, glomerulo, gromulo, gromu, glomu, glomulo, glomulo, nephritis. It's a kidney condition. That's basically what it is. Kidney condition. We've seen people. We've got a health consultant in Durbanville side, um, on the west side of Cape Town. And her name's Michelle. Um, I'm trying to think of it. They've got the Eminem Music Studio. Michelle. Pearson. Michelle Pearson. That's right. Elton's always sending her big parcels. She orders a lot of our products. She has a little shop, a little restaurant there as well, and she consults. And she's helped a lot of people with kidney conditions. She's just sent me one of her other patients, really bad ones, where they're basically telling people they're going to have a kidney transplant and they've got to go on to dialysis. And they take all the dairy products and animal products out of the diet. And literally within three months, there's such a dramatic improvement. The doctor's saying, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Your, your kidney function's gone from like 30 or 40% to 60%, 70%. Multiple sclerosis, known as MS, lupus, Sjogren's disease, myasthenia gravis, Addison's disease, scleroderma, which is to do with the skin, primary biliary cirrhosis, which is the liver condition, uveitis, chronic active hepatitis. Anyhow, hepatitis, they are being, children are being inoculated against hepatitis. If you just change the diet, the condition goes. And I've seen people in hospital with such bad hepatitis, their skin's almost luminous yellow, greeny color. We put them on a raw food diet, take all the animal products out of their diet, and within three days, their skin color changes, their liver function improves, and they're released from hospital. It's phenomenal to see. I have a dream. One of my dreams is to open a wellness hospital where you come to get well and fast and get re-educated and get monitored while you're getting well because people are terrified of going on raw food when the doctors told them they're going to die and they need this or they're going to, you know, their brain will not function anymore. The medical profession tends to use fear to motivate people to do, do what they want them to do. A good doctor will sit you down and say, look, these are the pros and cons of surgery, of this medication, of that. And if a person says, look, I'd like to change my lifestyle and diet, the doctor will say, I'm behind you. Let's see. Let's do everything we can before we do surgery and take medication. That's a good doctor. And there are some out there. The following paragraph is from Dr. Colin Campbell's book, The China Study. He says, imagine looking at the front page of the newspaper and finding the following headline, cow's milk, the likely cause of lethal type 1 diabetes. 
because the reaction would be strong and the economic impact monumental. Could you imagine headlines? Yeah. Cow's milk causes diabetes. Could you imagine? Every single supermarket would be seen as irresponsible. They'd start dumping the stuff. They'd return it to the farms or the manufacturers who would return it to the farm. Sorry, we're not touching this stuff anymore. We can't be liable for people getting diabetes and autoimmune diseases. Dr. Colin Campbell says it well, the reaction would be strong and the economic impact monumental. This headline won't be written anytime soon, regardless of the scientific evidence. And the reason being, it would be, create too much of a financial collapse. There is hundreds of billions of rands here in little South Africa. Can you imagine how many hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in the United States, in the UK, and in Europe? Europeans consume more than almost any other country. At the end of the day, money appears to be more important than our health. And hopefully as the research mounts, we will see the same results as the cigarette industry did in time. I mean, I, I remember seeing adverts. You can see old adverts on um, the internet from the 1950s and 60s, which is when I was growing up, that basically cigarettes were good for you. They relaxed you. It was better than taking anything else. <laughs> You know, you looked really super cool smoking cigarettes and you could, you know, probably get a better job if you smoked. <laughs> I mean, we're now seeing companies don't want smokers in their company because smokers take out time to go and smoke and non-smokers don't. And then they think they have a right to have a smoke break. Right, so we know that we know that we've seen that um, cheese contains addictive substances that make us feel really good. And that's designed to make the baby cow feel good. And mother's milk does the same thing. And we know that there are other substances in cow's milk. These are just some of them. So following hormones and related natural chemicals have been identified in cow's milk. This is just the natural stuff coming from the cow itself. Now these, many of these hormones we make ourselves, but now we're getting hormones from another source, from another animal, another species, not humans. Prolactin, somistotestatin, melatonin, oxytocin, growth hormone, luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone, thyrotropin releasing hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, vasoactive intestinal peptide, calcitonin, parathyroid hormone, corticosteroids, estrogens, progesterone, insulin, epidermal growth factor, insulin-like growth factor, erythropoietin, bomycin, neurotensin, motilin, and cholecystokinin. Cholecystokinin. I got it. Any and all of these will interfere in the chemical processes in your body. The chemicals in your body are hormones, and these are hormones. They're interfering with your hormonal system. I can tell you now that when people take dairy products from their diet, they see the most dramatic change in hormonal problems. It's almost within weeks you start to see it. When you remove all animal products, all hormonal problems go. You know, I could write a book on hormones and I could drag it out or I could say just go totally on a whole food plant-based diet and your hormones would get sorted out. People don't want it to be that boring. They want it to be complicated. So I'll write a complicated book and then I'll make some money from it. It doesn't make any sense, okay? Dairy products are the major contributor, is a major contributor to headaches. Number one cause of headaches, okay? Up there, number one or two, <clears throat> along with dehydration and gluten. 
and sugar. It's the most common trigger in rheumatoid arthritis. Harvard studies have shown that men who avoid dairy products have a 30% reduction in prostate cancer. That's huge. That's just taking dairy products out, never mind animal products, the rest of them, the meat and chicken and fish. It appears to increase IGF-1, the insulin growth factor 1, which has also been linked to breast cancer. Dairy suppresses vitamin D activation, increasing the risk of all cancers because vitamin D is vital to your immune system functioning properly. And that's why we actually need natural sunlight, which is our most reliable source of it. Fortunately, we store it so on rainy overcast days like we've been having, which we're very grateful for. We have stored vitamin D, so we don't have to worry about going out every day, but we do on average need 30 to 60 minutes of natural light on our skin to give us enough vitamin D. But the dairy product actually suppresses the activation of vitamin D. And that not only contributes to cancer, it contributes to osteoporosis and dental decay. Because vitamin D is needed for the body to use calcium and has been found to be essential in preventing cancer. With the consumption of cheese having doubled in Western diets just since 1975, it's interesting to note that the above diseases have increased at a corresponding rate. If I look at cancer alone, since I started speaking publicly about diet, 1992 I spoke at the South African Cancer Association in Johannesburg. They had their annual meeting and I was the speaker. And I looked at the statistics. It was in then it was one out of six to seven South Africans will get cancer. That is more than doubled. Because half of that would one be one to three and three and a half. It's now one to, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime in South Africa. And that's in twenty six years. Consumption of cheese has doubled in 1975, as I said, it corresponding increase in the rates of cancer. Dr. Walter J. Veit, in his book Diet and Disease, he was a past chairman of the Department of Zoology at the University of the Western Cape. He says the calcium as dairy is more difficult to absorb than the calcium in whole wheat bread and that it's certainly not our best source of calcium. An investigation into the effects of various protein diets and calcium retention showed that proteins from dairy caused considerable calcium loss in the urine. In other words, drinking milk and eating cheese and yogurt results in you peeing your calcium into the sewage system. It's that simple. Just as you drink it, you're peeing it into the sewage system. This ties in with the evidence that countries that consume the most dairy products have the most osteoporosis or brittle bone disease. Moreover, calcium supplementation does not provide a solution as countries such as the United States still have among the highest rates of osteoporosis where they consume the most calcium supplements. Immunoglobulins from cow's milk will react with the immune system and this can lead to an allergic reaction. Many allergies can primarily be attributed to milk. 100% of new diagnosed patients with insulin-dependent diabetes have antibodies to bovine serum albumin. What does that mean in plain English? 100% of new cases of type 1 diabetes have been found to have antibodies to cow's milk protein, implicating the cow's milk protein as the cause of the diabetes. 100% of the cases in every single person. Now, why are they not putting this on the front page of the newspaper? Because an entire industry will collapse. People will be out of jobs. Millions, billions will be lost. So we, this, we've got to be, we've got to be telling the stuff 
this newsletter is going to go out next week. You've got to post it all over the place. Put it everywhere it needs to go. Let people read it, post it, share it. The internet has got a lot of nonsense on it, but the internet has mobilized millions of people around the globe. And we can mobilize the world to know that dairy products are what's causing all these weird autoimmune diseases. You're getting diseases like scleroderma where your skin is just growing at an alarming rate. And you start to get all scaly. I've met the people with these problems and they're beside themselves. Some of them will change and some of them won't. Some of them will not change their diet. They come and talk to me, but they don't really want to change their diet. They want a pill. And there isn't a pill. You've got to get the dairy products out of your diet and animal products as well. Right. Where are we? Moreover, there have been reports of infants that are only breastfed and never received milk protein directly from cow's milk, which, but they've got, they've developed allergies to cow's milk, which is then alleviated when the mothers eliminated dairy products from their diet. So the mother drinking milk, which is what happened with me, I was eating a slice of cheese on a whole wheat biscuit at lunchtime. I was really trying to make it, I thought a little bit of cheese wouldn't affect me. And my daughter Meredith was getting ear infections and I was, she was totally breastfed. I took the cheese out and the, breast, the ear infections went away. She, um, Zara's noticed that on the 100 Days to Health, there are still recipes that include cheese, and some of them are there to help people make the transition. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you don't need it at all. But the 100 Days is a gradual program because as you go into it, it starts tells you to go without dairy products for a week, for example. And then I educate you on the dairy issue. And if you're still having cheese by then, you would have thrown it out. Whatever's got cheese in it, take it out. It's not going to make any difference. And in the place of it, you could put tofu if you wanted to. But 40% of people that are dairy intolerant that get these problems from dairy also get the same problems from soy. So I would rather put diced um, avocado in there or roast and dice a vegetable like a, a, a baby marrow, um, also known as a courgette. Dice it and roast it in the oven, a little bit of olive oil and some herb salt and toss that into the salad. What we're looking for is the oil and the salt. That's what mm -hmm. we're looking for. So let's create the oil and the salt, but let's give good oil, good fats and good salt. Um one of the major causes of craving dairy products is because we are lacking omega-3s in our diet. Not from fish oil, omega-3 from plant sources like flax oil. And I have found every single time that somebody is a cheese addict, if they take either flax oil, extra virgin cold-pressed organic flax oil, or they take the omega capsules, which I found work better, and the reason I believe is because they are nitrogen flushed, those capsules. They pump all the oxygen out. And that oil can stay in there for up to two or three years. I can't go rancid because it can't get exposed to oxygen. And they've darkened the, the little capsule, um, which is made from, it does contain um, gelatine, which is made from the skin of the water buffalo. It's not from a cow or a pig or a horse or anything else. It's water buffalo. Um, and they... So it is gelatine, but if you don't want the gelatine capsule, then use just flax oil, a good quality organic flax oil. Um, but the Amiga seems to work the best because they've got a perfect balance of a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of a sesame, and a little bit of sunflower oil, which stabilize the flax oil for one, so it can't go rancid easily. And then the oxygen, the nitrogen flush to get all the oxygen out. 
And when people start taking the Amiga or the flax oil on a regular daily basis, within weeks, they no longer feel like cheese. Because if you're giving your cells the very fat that it requires, that it's craving, it's going to be satisfied. So yes, there may be addictive properties that are in cheese, but there are sometimes the craving is coming from your body at a cellular level. You're needing fat and you're just not getting enough. So your body's thinking, well, fat and cheese, I know there's fat there, and your past experiences that it tasted nice, so you're going to go back there and have it. Once you start eating natural fats like nuts and seeds and olives and olive oil and um, avocados, and you're eating those on a daily basis, not all of them, one of each, you know, one of those. I wouldn't eat fats from something every single day because you'll just end up putting on a whole lot of weight. And you can actually slow your metabolism down. So I would have some, some of those fats once a day. I would have like Amiga or flax oil and then one of those foods like nuts or seeds or avocados or a little bit of each. So it's about a quarter to half a cup of nuts or seeds or one to two avocados or five to ten olives. Or you could have two olives, two or three olives and a quarter of an avocado and a little handful of nuts, for example. You can feel when you've had enough. You actually have a slightly nauseous feeling like you just don't want any more. But you'll find when you start eating natural fats like that, you don't feel like cheese anymore. So you're satisfying your, cell, your body at cellular level. So it's an easy thing to break that cycle is to eat some natural fats before you eat any cheese. And then if you're going to have a pizza, for example, I'll have a gluten-free crust in a restaurant. Let them put the homemade tomato sauce on top and then I'll pile any vegetables on top of that, like mushrooms and baby marrows and I love capers on a, on, a, on, an, um, on a pizza more than I love olives on a pizza but I'll have olives as well um, I'll put fresh tomato slices I'll put artichokes on there just about red peppers anything you can think of on there and then I'll ask them to put slices of avocado as they take it out of the oven so I get this fresh hot crispy pizza with this creamy avocado on top which is way nicer than cheese and way better for you than cheese and you do not miss the cheese at all. So I really, you know, it's not it's not that difficult to do when you know what you're doing. And it's pretty easy to, to get those natural fats. It's not, you know, sunflower seeds are available anywhere, almonds. Um, and you can make natural milks from all your nuts and seeds. You can see I've got in front here is some sunflower seeds. If we take them and I blend them up at high speed with water, it goes snow white. I've got sunflower seed milk. So it doesn't have to. We can take pumpkin seeds. It does the same thing. You can use cashew nuts to make the milk and almonds to make it, but they're expensive nuts. Uh, to me, the nicest of all the milks is almond milk. It's the one I like the most. You don't have to have expensive equipment other than a food processor, which you need to blend at high speed, and then you need to pour it through a very fine sieve. You can get a nut basket. It's like a little bag, and you pour the liquid in there, and all the fiber stays behind. Then you can take the fiber that stays behind, and you can dehydrate that, and then you 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 blend that at high speed, and you have got almond flour. So you've used up every part of the almonds. So you've got almond flour, and you can now use that in smoothies. You can bake with it instead of normal bread flour. It's fantastic things that you can do with almonds or any other nut or seed. Sunflower seeds have got a strong taste, and that puts some people off. But once you've blended it at high speed and strained it, the milk is, is quite pleasant. It's just a really cheap way to get um, a, a milk if you feel you need it. But honestly, we really shouldn't be eating anything with milk. If 
I, I say to people, what do you want to put the milk on? Well, you know, if it's coffee or tea and you're still drinking those things, then um, almond milk or cashew milk or rice milk made yourself uh, is ideal. That's the best. Or you can buy organic produce that don't have a lot of rubbish in them. You don't want preservatives. You don't want added fats. You don't want – you want something that's pure. It's easy to make a big batch once a month and then put it into little um, ice cube trays and keep it in the freezer. That's a way to do it. Or you can go down to your local health food store and get some organic soy milk or organic rice milk. Or I personally don't like soy. It affects me as badly as dairy products. I get the same mucus on my lungs, the coughing and stuff like that using soy. But some people don't. Rice milk you can use. I just don't like the taste of it. You, you make it? Yeah. Most people will make rice milk with raw raw rice and then they'll grind it at all some people will make it with cooked but you can grind the rice to a rice flour and then you blend it with a lot of water and then you strain that and it's basically much the same sort of thing it's a bit gritty compared to the, the nuts it's not as nice so it's not that difficult to change okay <clears throat> there's an interesting um dr walter white suggests that dairy products are a can, are a cause of infertility and especially sterility in men. If couples cannot conceive, especially the men, you've got to look to removing dairy products and possibly all animal products from the diet. Dr. Marilyn Glenville in her book Osteoporosis, The Silent Epidemic, um, she says that she's a leading nutritional therapist specializing in women's health in the UK and a fellow of the Royal Society of Medicine. She says milk has been linked to ovarian cancer, without doubt. There is a connection. Dairy products are low in essential fatty acids and raise triglycerides and cholesterol levels and increase platelet stickiness, which means it's going to make your blood clot. You're going to be more prone to blood clots as well. There's nothing good about this stuff. There really isn't. Uh, Dr. Matala, I mentioned you, you from the Red Cross Children's Hospital in an article published in PedMed in July 1990. What did I say? A couple of decades ago. Yes. It's nearly three dec decades ago. Cow's milk contains more than 25 separate protein fractions, each capable of inducing an allergic response. He lists the following clinical manifestations of milk allergy. Gastrointestinal, you can have diarrhea, vomiting, failure to thrive, colic, gastrointestinal bleeding, often resulting in anemia, and protein-losing enteropathy. These words... Respiratory system, rhinitis, asthma, serous otitis mania, which is ear infections, and Heiner's syndrome, which if I remember correctly is a kidney problem. Skin, no, it's a respiratory problem, so it's got to do with the lungs. Eczema, urticaria, angioedema, and anaphylaxis. Some people can go into anaphylactic shock. Their lungs just close and they can't breathe. Neurological, it can cause irritability and restlessness. It actually can cause hyperactive behavior in some children. So people always take colorants out, take the preservatives out, take the sugar out. Very often it's dairy products that are causing the problem. So, is there anything good about cow's milk? No. Certainly not for humans. In its natural form, it'll make a calf grow to be a big cow. Um, I think the cows should be running around on the hills, eating grass and roaming freely. But that's another debate altogether. There is nothing of any benefit for any human being that you can get from a cow. I don't care who says it's good for you. 
they are not speaking the truth. And I've had a public debate on television, primetime television, many years ago with Penny Smythe on a program called Primetime just before the news on a Tuesday night. Professor Harry Seftel, we had the woman that headed up the Dairy Industries Council, which in the old days we would have called the Dairy Board. It's a marketing department of the Dairy Industries. She was a, a dietitian, Harry Seftel and myself on television debating when my book first came out, how I could say that cow's milk was of no benefit. And I came armed with all the research, had piles of research, books I was quoting from, highly qualified people. And the other two came with their degrees. And they basically said to me, you don't have a degree that we recognize. And so we're really not going to listen to you. And I said, well, I'm not speaking. It's people like Dr. Marilyn Glenville, the Royal Society for Medicine. It's people like Dr. Colin Campbell. It's people like Dr. Neil Barnard, who heads the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and I was quoting these people. You see, you don't have to think, oh, well, I'm not qualified to talk about this stuff. You don't have to be qualified. Take the qualified people's information and share it with people. That's it. This is what these qualified people are saying. Number one is they're not selling anything. They have nothing to sell to anybody. They're not selling a product. They're not selling a supplement. Dr. Colin Campbell, Dr. Neil Barnard, they sell nothing other than maybe their books, which is helping us. I can tell you Dr. Neil Barnard's not making millions of dollars from his books. He heads up an organization that is huge in America. I think there are 30 or 40,000 medical doctors associated with his dietitians. It's a huge movement. It's in Washington, D.C. They, they lobby government all the time. They've changed the dietary recommendations in America took them years. It was a big court case. They said, you've got all this research showing that all these things are harmful and you're doing nothing. We're suing you for being irresponsible. And they won the case and they had to change the dietary recommendations and right across the board, schools, universities, everywhere. And basically they came out with a power plate that said 25% of your intake should be fruit, 25% vegetables, 25% grains and 25% legumes. And the American government said, well, we'd like to make those legumes proteins because we don't want to damage the industry. And for the first time in the history of the United States, since they've been recommending diets from the agricultural and the government on government levels, they put dairy products on the outside of that circle and they said optional for the first time ever, which they know categorically that there is no need for cow's milk in humans' diet. So, thank you for listening to me. I'm assuming you will not drink another sip of milk, eat a piece of cheese, or ever touch yogurt again. <laughs> All right, so you may want to know what or where are you going to get your calcium from. And um, we've had it drummed into us that the only reliable source of calcium is from cow's milk, and I can tell you categorically that that's not the case, as I explained earlier on. The phosphorus in cow's milk is too high for you to be able to use the calcium, so you actually end up with a net loss of calcium, which you end up urinating that out into the septic or sewage system. Best source of calcium is actually from plant foods, dark green leafy vegetables, one of the reasons I take Bali Life every single day of my life and have done since 1999, which is a long time ago. Um, and I've had no new dental decay since I changed my diet and be taking the Bali Life. Um, neither has my husband, Mark. 
Our teeth are stronger than they've ever been. And, you know, that's our personal anecdote, but we know that the calcium in dark green leafy vegetables, particularly barley grass juice, is perfectly balanced. The phosphorus and the calcium levels are the most perfectly balanced for optimum use by your skeleton and by your body. Um, there's also calcium in every single fruit and vegetables. It's particularly high in nuts and seeds. In seeds like sesame seeds, which you grind, because we don't have the ability to grind the seeds with our teeth. So when it's ground, it forms tahini, and tahini is incredibly high. It's probably 20 times more than what you would find in cow's milk, but in a fully usable form. Uh, almonds are high in calcium. Dried figs are very high in calcium. Just make sure that they're preservative-free. But as I said, there's not one fruit or vegetable that doesn't contain calcium in some form or another and in a very usable form. Um, so if you're eating a good variety of fruit and vegetables, have dark green leafy vegetables or barley grass juice in your diet every day, and I take two heaped teaspoons a day um, with Amiga, and make sure you're getting enough natural light outdoors on your skin about 20 to 30 minutes a day so that you can make vitamin D, so that you can use the calcium efficiently. Um, and then to make sure that your diet is alkaline-forming. That means it contains 75 to 80% raw alkaline fruits and vegetables. That means it will keep your calcium in your bones and you won't be losing calcium to neutralize the excess acidity from a processed or animal-based diet. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us, feel free to email us at info at naturalway, and that is spelt n-a-t-u-r-a-l-w-a-y dot c-o dot z-a.